Okay, let's go to our scripture that can be found in the back of your bulletin. This is Galatians 5, 1 through 6, as we continue going through the book of Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The word of the Lord. Well, I thought I would start off uh, our, my sermon by giving some famous quotes. I'm a, I'm a quote gatherer. I don't know if you are, but I, I have a section in my phone where I, I take quotes. I try to get wisdom and keep wisdom. You know, it's very proverb-centered. And I find that some of the best quotes come from celebrities because obviously they're celebrity because they're intelligent, they're insightful, they have their finger on the pulse of culture. So I wanted to give you some celebrity quotes that you might also have wisdom. I, I'd start off, of course, with the great Yogi Berra, uh, a baseball player who said, predictions are difficult, especially about the future. <laughs> Brittany, who is on the same uh, philosophical level as Yogi, said, I get to go to lots of overseas places, like Canada. <laughs> <laughs> It's not only uh, celebrities, but also sports celebrities. Jason Kidd, former NBA uh, player, uh, when he was talking about his team, said, we are going to turn this team around 360 degrees. <laughs> that would, of course, mean, Jason, you're going in the same direction that you're going right now. Brooke Shields, uh, smoking kills. If you're killed, you've lost an important part of your life. <laughs> oh, Brooke, oh, Brooke. But every now and then there is a quote that strikes home and really, uh, uh, really puts their pulse on the reality of the human condition. And here is a quote by Madonna that really undergirds a lot of what we're going to talk about. She was being interviewed, I think, in Vogue magazine. And she said this, My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre that is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. I thought this was such a prescient quote because here is someone who, by any measure uh, in the world, has accomplished something, has done something. And yet she opens up her heart and explains that the drive in her life comes from a fear of being mediocre, that there's something in her that's driving her to be a special human being. And yet it cannot be accomplished through her accomplishments. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. What is Madonna talking about? Her point really is a theological one, isn't it? See, built into our hearts, we have made in the image of God. 
We were made with His characteristics of righteousness, holiness, goodness, to mirror God. And as such, we were made fearfully and wonderfully. And as we all know, with great power comes great responsibility. There is a cost, if you will, that we owe to the universe, to God for our lives. As the scriptures say, that we are supposed to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So what happens when we cannot be perfect? What happens to a human race marred by sin that falls short of the glory of God? This inner, inner drive, this inner understanding that we don't measure up and we never will regardless of what we do. That's what haunts the human race. That's what haunts us all. The need to be justified before God, whether we can give word to it or not. And so in this passage, in this scripture in Galatians, what Paul is saying is that not by your own efforts, but because of the grace of God, that God has made you great. He has restored you to glory, not because of your efforts, but rather because of the efforts of His Son, Jesus Christ. That all that you long to be, all that you long to feel in your heart, a shalom, a peace with God you can have, unless you choose to go the path of works, relying on your own righteousness instead of grace. See, Paul is painting a stark picture between living by the grace of God and living by the power of your own effort. And what he's saying is it's one or the other. It can't be both. See, grace is either your everything or it's your nothing. It's what the sermon is all about. Grace is either your everything or it's your nothing. So we're going to unpack that, that, um, that idea and we're going to unpack it in three ways. Number one, I'm going to explain why it can't be both. It can't be grace and effort. It has to be one or the other. Number two, I'm going to talk about the warning that we face. There's a warning given in here that we must take heed of. And then finally, number three, I'm going to talk about the power of grace. What it means to live a life, a forgiven life, a free life. Because grace is either your everything or it's your nothing. Let's begin with point number one, why it can't be both. Paul has said in Galatians 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He moves on in verse 2, look. Whenever you say look, it's kind of like the bottom line, right? Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What's he talking about? He's talking about these group of people who have come into the church and they've said Jesus Christ is not enough that you also have to obey the works of the law. It's Christ and the law. Christ and you performing these variety of rituals, one of them including uh, a circumcision. And in fact, in Acts 15, it, uh, uh, Paul quotes them saying this, unless you are circumcised and keep the law, you cannot be saved. And so Paul is saying, if you listen to them, if you go through with this oh, in the path that they are saying, you can, there is no advantage to you. Well, what is the advantage that if they don't fall through it, they follow through in that path? It's verse one, for freedom Christ has set us free. Now, I talked last week about freedom and that part of what freedom means is to be who you were meant to be. 
as a fish experiences freedom when it swims or a bird when it takes to the air. But I think he's being more specific in talking about freedom. What freedom is he talking about? He's not talking about freedom from sin. He's talking about freedom from the law. Now follow me on this. It is for freedom from the law that Christ has set you free. Now what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law, as we have seen going through uh, the book of Galatians, the law's purpose is to condemn you. The law's purpose is to show how you have failed in keeping to the standards of God. The law's purpose is to make you feel guilty because you are. And what Paul is saying is that the purpose of the gospel is not so much as to set our will free from the bondage of sin, though that happens, as to set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. That's the freedom of the gospel, to set our conscience free from the guilt of the sin, guilt of sin. The law is like a, a bulldog. It latches onto you. It's a, it's a flashlight that's constantly shining on all of your imperfections. A constant reminder of how you do not measure up. It condemns you. No, if you've ever seen a building that's been condemned, it has a big sign on it. What does it mean? When you condemn a building, it's no longer fit to be lived in. What the law does is put a big sign across us and says, condemned. No longer fit to be in the image of God. It's constantly rendering a verdict, guilty, guilty, guilty. That's what Madonna was feeling, wasn't she? even though she couldn't express it. That there is some sort of debt on my head that I have to pay to be special, to do something great. And the world constantly is parroting the law. You are not enough. You are not enough. The price must be paid for the sin that you have committed. But grace brings us a freedom of conscience. A freedom from the tyranny of the law. I don't know if you remember when you first came to realization of the grace of Jesus Christ. I do. I was 18 years old. And I remember the freedom and forgiveness as if someone was lifting a 200-pound weight off of my shoulders. A debt that I was carrying that I didn't even understand. That's what the grace of Jesus Christ does. It brings us a freedom of conscience, conscience that the price has been paid. The law is constantly communicating and saying, guilty, guilty. But grace says righteous and righteous. Paul continues in verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you do this, in other words, Galatians, Christ is of no advantage to you. Meaning the atoning blood that he shed on the cross for you to free you from your sins, to pay for every one of them, means nothing. You're setting off on your own, if you will. You are obligated to keep the whole law. It's an if-then statement, isn't it? I testify to every man, to every man and woman who follows, chooses to follow the law, 
It's an if-then statement. Then you're obligated to keep the whole law. Now, why is that? Because if you have not chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've chosen to become your own Savior, have you not? If you will not receive Him as a Savior, you must become your own. And therefore, you must pick up the obligations that Christ picked up on your behalf. Notice it says that you are obligated to keep the whole law. That means all of the law, the letter and the spirit of the law. Remember as Jesus Christ summed up the entire law in the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the obligation that the Galatians are putting on their shoulders if they refuse to rest on grace and grace alone. It's an obligation to keep the whole law. So if you don't want Jesus, you must live the life that Jesus did in his place. And notice you don't just have to keep it for a a minute. You have to keep it for all of your life. As I've said before, God has forgiven, sometimes has forgiven sinners, but he never forgives sin. Every sin must be paid for. God is so righteous and so holy that the smallest sin is is, um, utterly, what would be the word, other than God. It provokes him to wrath so much because it is so contrary to his nature. It all must be paid for by someone, either Jesus Christ or ourselves. But grace, of course, is the exact opposite, isn't it? Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and died a gruesome death for us that we might be accepted because of his record. Paul says, if you don't have that, I testify to you. This is a legal proceeding that you are obligated to keep the whole law. Now, I'm not an attorney, but I do play one on TV from time to time. And I am familiar with the law called the law of double jeopardy. We find this in the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. Double jeopardy means you cannot be, it's not the thing when you like, you know, you're playing the jeopardy and you say the daily double, it's not that. It means you can't be tried for the same crime twice. If you are declared innocent of a crime, no one can try you for that crime again. In like fashion, to the Christian, once we have been declared forgiven by God, we cannot be tried again. The verdict has been declared. The price has been paid. The matter is settled. And you and I need to remind ourselves of this every time our conscience begins to accuse us again. But you see, the Galatians were trying to have it both ways. Are we? Grace is either our everything or it's our nothing. For the Galatians, it was the Judaizers. But we have plenty of people that come into our world and our lives, do we not? They come to us uh, either as friends or as family. I remember my mother when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. She thought I was crazy. And now she follows Jesus Christ. But she said, this is, you know, you're going overboard with this thing. Right? I mean, it's God helps those who help themselves. That's in Uriah too. 
right? Some people got it. All right. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible, people. It's one or the other. It's the world that comes in and says, no, no, no. It's your accomplishments. You make a name for yourself. Yes, you G add Jesus to your portfolio, absolutely. He's Sunday. You got Sunday taken care of, but it's this, 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 and this. It's on you and your efforts. But Paul says, and I say, I testify to you that if you accept their advice to place your worth, your value on your efforts, Christ is of no value. See, we have to decide. Grace is either our everything or it's our nothing. You can't have both. And so this leads me to my second point, the warning that we face. Paul continues in verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have followed, fallen away from grace. It's interesting, uh, the word choice that Paul uses here. There's an ironic, uh, there's, there is a pun intended that you who are uh, thinking about undergoing circumcision, you have been severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. See, these people are thinking that through accepting this rite of circumcision, we will be included in the family of God when the exact opposite is what would happen, that you have been severed from Christ and actually fallen away from grace. Now notice how he says the same thing twice but in a different way. You're severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. What Paul is saying is that Christ and grace are synonymous. That Jesus Christ is the grace of God. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's very simple. The gospel is a person. Christianity is the only religion in the world where we are saved not by following the advice of the founder, but by the founder himself. Jesus is not part of the grace of God. He is the grace of God. As the praying the scriptures section said, that he is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is a theological term. It literally means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. Now notice the language here in verse 4 because it, it's all about union, isn't it? You are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from him. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's about knowing him. It's actually about being united to him in relationship. And there's only one way that we can be united to him. There's only one way that we can know him in relationship. And that's as Savior. Right? There's plenty of people that want to know Jesus Christ as an example. He lived a great life. We should do the same. And so we follow him from afar. You don't have a relationship with him. You're severed from Christ. There's many who would know him as an inspired teacher that gave us great words of wisdom. But that doesn't count either. There's many who would know him as a friend and to be sure, Jesus Christ is a friend to sinners. 
But there's only one way we can know him first and foremost, and that is as Savior. You who would be justified by the law, Paul says, you have fallen away from grace. Now this brings up the question, have the Galatians fallen away? Can one know grace, know the grace of Jesus Christ, come to faith in Christ, and then fall away from Christ? The answer is no. The Bible is pretty clear on this. Such as in John 10 when he says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And the Father has given them into my hand and no one shall snatch them out from my hand. But it's also very clear that there are many who believe that they knew Jesus Christ and in the end at the day of judgment they didn't know him at all. In 1 John, it talks about people who were in the church and then left the church. Did they fall away from the faith? This is what 1 John 2.19 says. They went out from us, these people who left, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. In other words, it's saying that those who genuinely have come to Christ and come to faith will stay with Christ and stay in his grace forever. But there are those who in the beginning are excited about Christ and would seem to be following Christ and in the end fall away. We think that's, that doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. Let me suggest to you, if you look around this room right now, In 15 years, there will be people in this room who are no longer following Christ. Were they of Christ in the beginning? The answer is no. And so what is Paul doing? Paul is giving a warning. The Bible never ever tells us to doubt our salvation. But it certainly tells us to examine our salvation. Is Paul trying to scare them? In a a sense, yes. A warning is like a road sign to believers, helping them to make sure that they're not going off the path, forcing them and us to re-examine our lives and to recommit our lives to the grace of Jesus Christ to make sure that we are believers because we do not want to get to the end of our lives and to hear the words from God, I never knew you. How do you know that you are a believer? That you stand firm on the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, believer, we must make sure to stand firm. Because if you are a believer, there's nothing that Satan or anyone can do can take away your salvation. But Satan can certainly work to take away the enjoyment of your salvation. There are Christians who do not experience the freedom that comes with grace because they listen to Satan masquerading as our conscience communicating you're not free. You're not free. You're not enough. You never will be. See what you did. And Paul is saying that we have to stand firm on Christ or we will not stand firm at all. As I've quoted before, Thomas Jefferson said that the price of freedom is vigilance. And so Paul is actually astonished and upset 
that the Galatians are so willing to trade the freedom they have in Jesus Christ for the law. He's saying you have to grow up and fight for this freedom in Christ. Stand firm or you will not stand at all. I spent about four or five hours yesterday along with my son uh, working on our deck in the backyard. Despite my best triage efforts on many years, it was time to do some work. Most of the boards on the top uh, were rotting. They were, just, they were just done. It was time to pull up the boards on the deck. And my fear, of course, was as I looked down underneath and looked at the subflooring that holds up the deck, that it would be rotting. And that's when you really get into trouble, right? Luckily, there was only one board underneath that was rotting. Now, that board, of course, is so much more important than all of the boards on the top because it holds up those boards. I could replace all the boards on the top, but if I didn't replace the board that was underneath, it doesn't matter that all of those could stand the pressure because it would cave underneath. Paul is saying to the Galatians, and I am saying to you, we've got to take a look underneath. What's the foundation of our life? Is it on the grace of Jesus Christ? Or have we chosen a foundation that will ultimately rot? The foundation of works the foundation of reputation, the foundation of accomplishment, the foundation of financial success, the foundation of beauty. It goes on and on and on. See, the point of Christianity is most certainly freedom in the future, but it's freedom now. It's freedom of conscience. It's freedom from the guilt of sin. It's the freedom of acceptance of God. Now, be sure in life we experience difficulties and challenges and depression is a reality that can sap your inner vitality. But even in the midst of that, the hallmark of Christianity is the freedom that comes in our hearts of knowing that we're forgiven by God and righteous in His sight. And what Paul is saying, and I am saying to you, that if you are not experiencing this freedom in Christ, it's your fault. He's done the work. He's given you a foundation to stand on, but you must stand. You have to grow up and make your decision. You have to push back against the world. And so notice in verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Notice he's changed from you, Galatians, to we. In other words, this is how we are to live. This is how I'm living. This is how we will live. We ourselves eagerly wait through the Spirit. See, our wonder of wonders, Jesus Christ has not only saved us on the cross, but He's given us His Holy Spirit. The power of God by which He's brought us from death to life, by which He assures us that we are sons and daughters of God, by which He continues to witness us and strengthen us in the faith. We are not alone. But how do we live? Not by works, but by faith. By trust in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. By faith we ourselves eagerly wait. We don't work for it, but we wait for it. For the hope of righteousness. What does that mean, the hope of righteousness? 
Does it mean that hopefully, maybe, if I do it all right in the end, he'll say, yeah, this guy's okay. Now, the hope of righteousness is the declaration. The final declaration, the final stamp that shows to us and to the world what we've believed all along. That our confidence is in Jesus Christ. And we are free in him. Free from the guilt of sin. This brings me to my final point. The power of grace. Because grace is either your everything or it's your nothing. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. What matters is not circumcision nor uncircumcision. Not these religious rituals. Not our efforts and accomplishments. But rather faith working through love. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is faith alone that saves. But faith is not alone, is it? It's faith working through love. See, the faith which saves is a faith which works. It's a faith which issues in love. That is to say that the Christian life is not only a life of faith, it's a life in the Holy Spirit who indwells in us and produces good works of love. Because no love can come from following the law, can it? Because really, the reason you're following the, love, uh, following the law, the reason that Madonna is continuing to try to outdo herself is because of fear and guilt, even though she can't communicate it. It's all about her. And if we go embarking on this path of justification by good works, there's no, there's no um, view for anyone else but ourselves. Because it's a matter of survival. But the reality is that what motivates love is joy and forgiveness. What motivates you to love other people is joy, is joy and forgiveness, not guilt and shame. See, we're either being motivated by one of two things, love and joy or guilt and shame. But guilt and shame can never bring love, can it? It's gratitude. It's thankfulness. It's unconditional love which moves our hearts on the inside and translates into our hands on the outside. It's what's underneath the deck that gives strength to the deck, not that's what's on top that gives strength to the bottom. And so there's a huge difference in how you live if you've placed your faith on the love of God in Jesus Christ or on the works of the law. One will issue forth in selfishness and self-centeredness, and the other will issue forth in love. Watch your life, and that will tell you what you're standing on. Wasn't that the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember the highly religious people, the priest and the Levite, who were so busy attaining righteousness through the law, that when they saw this person lying on the road, they had no time for him. 
How could they? They've got to continue working for their salvation. They passed right by without even seeing him. And yet the Samaritan, and God was giving a point here, the Samaritan saw. We're trying to answer the question, who is my neighbor? We're never going to really be able to even see them until we live by faith, working through love, as we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And so I simply conclude with a warning and an exhortation. Examine your own salvation. Is my hope built on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and Christ alone? Or is it Christ and something else? Because grace is either your everything or it's your nothing. This faith, if it's founded on Jesus Christ, will ultimately result in love. But we have to stand firm. We have to grow up. We have to take hold of this freedom that Christ has given for us. It's the hallmark of the inheritance that God has given for us now. Let it be so. Let this be a church that when people talk about it, they say, look how they love each other. And look how they love people around them. There must be something that they have that we don't have. And we can say confidently, it's Jesus Christ and His grace. Because grace is either your everything or it's nothing. Let's pray. Thank you for this warning, Father. For we are prone to listen to the voices of this world that say that you are not enough that there's no way the debt can be paid through one man dying on a cross. But we know different. For that one man was your son and his blood is sufficient to atone for all of our sins. And so let us stand firm and let us rest in the freedom that comes knowing that our consciences are free from the guilt of sin and that we are righteous in your sight. Let that be a hallmark of our lives, so much so that it translates in love for the least of these around us. Pray all of this in Christ's name.